Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of This Wooden O. I am Monty. Hi, guys. I'm Daniel Kemper. And today we have with us one of our favorite people. She was a force of nature as Juliet in our production of Romeo and Juliet this summer. Please welcome to This Wooden O, Rachel Schmeling. How's it going? Thanks. Things are going well. Thanks for having me. Good. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys. In addition to... Being an actor and a writer and a producer and a stand-up comic and a social media manager and all of the hyphenates. Um, I do a lot, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> You're also a yoga practitioner. Mm-hmm. You also teach. Mm-hmm. I was really interested about how that practice makes its way into your craft. Particularly, does your yoga practice help sort of center your your mindset as an actor to be like the right things will come to me i just have to root myself and breathe do you see those two things as connected yeah definitely mm. i think that it doesn't have to be yoga i think any kind of physical practice anything that gets me into my body it just allows me to connect to my physical body in a way that even throughout my teens and through college I didn't really have and theater and especially Shakespearean language lives so much in the body I found a yeah. great shift in my work once that really like clicked for me and um so just being like physically aware, aware of myself in space is huge. Like the what yoga has taught me about following physical impulse and to just be like, oh, what's this feeling? What's this feeling? Like I'm even moving my body now. Like what's this feeling in my arm? Does my arm want to do this? What, like, oh man, I stifled an impulse there. My body wanted to move, but I didn't. Let's go back and do it again, right? Like mm-hmm. I'll do that in rehearsal spaces. I feel a lot more free in my body than I, um, in some in some ways, I'm still working on some things than I ever did. But the breath, especially, I went through so many years of, of acting training, two degrees in acting. And yet when I started doing yoga is when really the breath started dropping in for me because you're just breathing deeply for like 60 to 90 minutes. And even if you're in a voice class, I don't like that focus wasn't totally there. You're like focusing sometimes on production or like you learn breathing techniques, but how long do you really do them? When I'm in a 90 minute yoga class, I'm literally only thinking about my breath going right. in and out of my body for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And what was your vocal background? Linklater, actually. Linklater, Kristen Linklater. And I've done some Fitzmorris voice work as well, um, kind of double dipped my toes into lots of other things, but primarily Linklater. And she's actually very much like breath and in the body, um, which was great. And we did, you know, it's, uh, there's some uh, alignment with yoga there, but what my life experience, something, it didn't click until I really started like practicing yoga Mm -hmm. separate from the voice work and Mm -hmm. then allowing them to connect. It needed to be separate before they could That's how it always happens, isn't it? I, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if, if this was the same for, for you, Monty, or in your acting training, Mm -hmm. Rachel, but for me doing three years of, of practical aesthetics with, uh, the Atlantic acting school, there was so much technical things that they were trying to instill in us. It's Mm -hmm. like, you need to do this and make sure you're aware of that and connect to this. And in the classroom environment, it never connected or like there were large parts of it that did not connect for me. I just couldn't put two and two together to make four. And it wasn't until I got out of an academic environment and it was just, you're here in the space, Mm -hmm. you've got to do the thing. That's when it took me three years of Atlantic conservatory training to get to a point where 
when I decided to take an academic year for college, that's when I really started to feel myself take an actual connected and deep breath, as opposed to I'm just doing what the teacher tells me to. I'm not, I'm not finding this on my own. I'm doing what I've been told to do and have been told is going to work. Uh, for me, it was definitely the first time that I worked with Patsy Rodenberg. It was oh, yeah, like, yeah. A diff- like a different approach to similar stuff. Yeah. Because our background was largely in uh, Chuck Jones and mm-hmm. Fitzmorris. So great. It's, I mean, Fitzmorris is amazing. Uh, Fitzmorris is amazing. It's, it's my favorite. But like it was, uh, I, I feel like this was so many aspects of any artistic training. It's why I personally like really distrust the the fact that so much of our theater training is in u- university settings mm-hmm. now. Cause I, I think the things that allow universities to be great for training you up for like physics and medicine tend to not be the things that allow you to be a really in tune with yourself artist. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All technique is, is someone else's shortcuts. And until you actually make that technique your own, which doesn't mean, I always thought that meant like finally understanding it rather than yeah. like actually choosing the bits that work for you yeah. and those that don't. Letting mm-hmm. it settle in and like picking and choosing like some, like doing a mishmash of things that work for you sometimes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And letting that change from show to show. Yeah. yeah. Like it's one of the things I think yoga actually really helped me with this as well. Like the idea that every pose was different every day. Every day, every day, sometimes in the same hour. Really? You're like, oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think the thing about yoga too, is that like, it allowed me, cause that was, I think that was the first time, maybe not, maybe just didn't remember it, but where someone was like, notice when you're not breathing. And I was like, uh, Oh my God. And now whenever I'm struggling in rehearsal or on stage, I'm like, God, am I breathing? Nope. Yeah. And I just, and I just remind myself more. I think it's the observation. I think yoga has taught me so much more about like curiosity about myself and self observation that I don't know. I don't think that's as touched on. Um, it was not touched on for me in my training as much. It was about learning technique. It wasn't so much about like getting curious about your body, getting curious about how it feels. Mm. Like, so that wasn't know. a part of your training. That was your own. No, it was not part of my university training. I know it is for some, for some programs. And like I think that's great. We did. We had first a, year. yeah, we had, yeah, we I think it was a combination. That. Did we do, we did yoga and viewpoints in Suzuki in the same year. No, yoga, yoga was the first year with year. Renee and yes. it was like half yoga, half, um, dab, Oh, uh, look, push, um, press, Laban. Laban. It was half yoga, okay. half Laban. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and then second second year was Suzuki and Viewpoints. Yes, there it is. Uh, and then third year, I I think this stuff started unlocking for me with one of our teachers named George Russell, who we'll definitely have on the show eventually. Absolutely. Who's an a amazing improvisational dancer and mm-hmm. physical therapist. And his class was essentially improvisational dance matched with teaching actors how to tune in and do physical therapy for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, like mm-hmm. just the most extraordinary class. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if I'd not been introduced to yoga in school, I don't think I would have found it because I think it would have just seemed like something so far from myself. Yeah, so I'm curious, to hear, like how, how did you find it then? Oh, ironically school, but I only, I needed an extra credit hour in my last semester. Um, and my friend suggested I take yoga cause you know, all you had to do is show up. And I was like, that sounds good for me. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, Senioritis. I know. Yeah. I was like, okay, well all I have to do is show up twice a week for an hour. Like I can do that. And yeah, just unlocked something in me. I was like, oh, I didn't know my body could do this. I didn't know I could feel 
feel strong in this way, never thought about my body in this way. And then after that, it was just the rest is history, as they say. I just yeah. started practicing and practiced all through grad school. And yeah, I practice yoga every every day during grad school before class. Wow. Don't ask me how. I was, don't know. I don't know how I had that that um, dedication, but I I did in grad school. It was intense. Sounds like your work ethic has really changed over the years. Like, yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, no. You sound like you've really slacked off in the last year since grad school. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, but like I don't practice yoga every day now, but also mm-hmm. my perception of my practice has changed and, right. and all of that. But I think it was really, God, I really think it helped my whole experience of graduate school. But I kind of amazed at myself looking back on that because it was intense. It was only a year long program. So we were mm-hmm. in class like six days a week, like all, like all day. Um, Wow. I don't know how, I don't really know how I did that, wow. but I was 22, maybe that's how I did that. That yeah. was in Scotland, right? The, yeah. Is yeah. it MA or MFA? It's an MA. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, at 22, you're essentially just a rubber band. Yeah. You're an immortal, <laughs> you're an, you're an immortal <laughs> rubber band. Yeah. Uh, at 33, I still am. I, I definitely yeah. <laughs> did not. I was in no pain the morning after the recording of our last episode. Oh, no, not None at, at all. all. None at all. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny to me is um, we're having this conversation about being still and being aware of of your breath and your body and how that has been so useful for you. But at the same time, your work ethic is go, go, go and create, create, mm. create and just continuing to move forward. So how do you how do you assess when it is time to really take stock and be still? How does that work for you internally? Um, I think my body tells me. Mm. Sometimes it tells me I don't listen for a little while and that's called burnout. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the most... I think um, what I've learned is that the time I take for yoga in my week is non-negotiable and it's important for my mental health as well as my physical health. And when my bot, like today, I was like, I was saying before we started recording, I took a nap, I ate a cookie. Like I was really chilled out today. It was my day off. I didn't really, um, do that much physically. My body was like, you need rest. And so I was like, yeah, I do need rest. Let's take rest today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in New York city and in this career, it's so easy to be go, go, go all of the time. That's just the energy. And so saying yes to stillness feels, I I used to feel shame or guilt around it. Like I can't do that. I can't take a day off. What if something else happens and I need to be there for, but then I burned out a lot more my first year Mm -hmm. here. I got sick a lot more. I just wasn't listening to my body. And then I, and then I just, you know, respected her a little bit more and listened and the time I take for stillness only benefits me. It's this thing. I mean, it's a capitalist thing too, right? Is that like, um, we're not, uh, valued if we're not productive, if we're not making money or if we're not producing things, but actually our production value goes down drastically if we are, are not, if the vessel isn't taken care of, if our minds aren't taken care of. Are there habits you've developed or questions you've started to ask yourself regularly that help you, to take that time. Cause one of the things that we've talked about on the show a lot, uh, I, I can't, I can't get myself to do it. I don't realize until way after mm. that it should have been taken. Um, so even just selfishly, what, uh, can you help me please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really try to take a few moments in like stillness or for myself every day, whether that's a meditation, whether it's a bath, whether it's just sitting and reading a few pages of my book. I just try and do something where I'm not working and I don't always succeed, but I really, really try. 
I also sometimes don't notice until it's too late, but like, um, working in that, like I had that weekend away. I went away for the weekend after Romeo and Juliet. I had that planned since like late June. I had that planned for like two and a half months before it actually happened. Mm -hmm. So I think actually, and this is, uh, something I was reading about recently, but actually planning that time and committing to that time and trusting that work will fall into place around it is helpful. Absolutely. So right. I'm, Cause you get to that day and you're like, well, no, I can't today. I am I, like, I, I know I should take today off and I know I talked about doing it, but mm-hmm. I just can't. But if yeah. you book the trip, then it's like, well, yeah. damn it. If yeah. I don't, I have to go now. Yeah. if I don't relax, I'm wasting money. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, um, uh, I'm here over the, the Christmas and new year's holidays this year. <laughs> it's a great time to pick up classes for teaching and I had told myself I was not going to teach on Christmas Day. I had like a good probably almost 48 hours off. And then I got asked to teach on Christmas Day. And I told my manager, I was like, I will teach for you on this day if you get my classes covered at the end of the week. Because I still wanted that time off. But I knew that she would have a difficult time finding people to teach on Christmas Day. And so I was like, well, I can do that. But I'm also like... I'm also not going to burn myself out that week when I already had time built in to take to myself. Scheduling rest, <laughs> if you will. I would I would agree with that 100%. I think one of the biggest game changers for me has been the incorporation of something that becomes a habitual practice, a daily practice. When I was working um, at a different job, uh, other than my day job where I am currently, I was regularly working six days a week and was doing so for years. And so my only day off was on Sunday. And so of course I want to see my friends cause I'm working six days a week and I wasn't able to really like hang out at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday cause I was teaching a class somewhere. But during that period, my mindset was Sunday is my day. And I'm not doing anything on a Sunday that I don't want to do. If someone asks me to schedule something that's obligatory, if it happens on a Sunday, I say no. Because that is, that's the time that I take for me. The other thing that I started doing a few years ago, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about even though 2016 was traumatic in a lot of ways... This podcast was listing off all of the positive things that had happened on a global scale in 2016, like the development of the uh, the development of a cure for Ebola and high school graduations were at their highest and teen pregnancy was at its lowest wow. in 2016 in a long, long time. And I noticed about myself that I was always coming into the new year previous to this upset or resentful or bitter, you know, things would take a downward slope at the end of the year. And that for me would go, well, this entire year was a wash. I'm ending on a low note. That means the whole year was not great. So what I did, I went out on New Year's Day and I bought myself a journal and I gave myself a challenge. I said, this year, you're going to spend an entire year and you're going to write down one thing every day that you are grateful for. It can just be, if it was a particularly bad day, you can just write down that like today is over and tomorrow I get to do it over Mm -hmm. again. But I was like, one year, you're going to write down one thing a day for one year that you're grateful for at a minimum. And it is a practice that I have kept going, 19, 20, 
January 1st, 2020 will be four years of doing this and I've never missed a day. The way that it has changed my mindset and the way that I approach situations, the way that I interact with people and just the way that I look at the direction that my life is going because if I'm ever at a low point in a valley like you were talking about earlier, I have these books in a shelf by my by my nightstand and I can go and look through and be like, you have had at least one thing to appreciate every day for the last four years. Which means that even on even on a particularly bad day, you can find something to draw from that is helpful or at the very least is informative. So I think the daily practice is huge. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, I think it's such yeah. an important practice. One of my a, a yoga teacher I know, um, when she talked about starting a daily meditation practice, she was like, it doesn't have to be a half hour a day. Right. You can just start with two minutes, three minutes, just mm-hmm. sit and take 10 breaths. But she was like, if you can commit to taking 10 deep breaths daily every morning, then it will be a practice. Yeah, it is. It does have such an effect, the small practices that I work into my day and um, and committing to them and, and honoring them. Even the mornings when I wake up at 5 a.m., I, mm. I can wake up and I can breathe for like a few minutes. I can take three minutes, you know? Right. Nothing will... Well, I might miss a train in three minutes, but you know, that's okay. That's life. (laughs) That's New York. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We were talking on the first episode about a book that I discovered recently that's kind of helped uh, me kind of get on the upswing again, uh, called Atomic Habits. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. And that's like essentially the the core idea of this book. Yeah. Because 1% improvement every day. Yeah. And by the end of the year, you've made... And continue to be easy on yourself too, because, you know, I think an acknowledgement of, well, also our capitalist societies that we're expected to be perfect and show up in our perfection all the time, but that's not human. Our humanness is imperfection. So like, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, if I don't meditate every day this week, I can be easy on myself and know that I can get up and do it again tomorrow. Right. Right. I really like that you said that, that you can always, I suppose I'm an Instagram story today, I think actually. It was like, start today. And then the next slide was, yeah. or if you don't start today, you can start tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually, I saw a, um, I saw a Q&A recently with somebody who is uh, somewhat of a fitness personality. And mm-hmm. they were getting questions about, you know, how do I, how do I incorporate this or how do I adopt this lifestyle? How do I build the habits and maintain it? And they said that a rule that they had for themselves was um, when I go to the gym, even on the days that I don't want to go, I have a rule for myself. And they said, uh, my rule is just go for 10 minutes on the days that you're supposed to go, however often that is for you, whether it's six days a week, whether it's every day, whether it's only a few days a week. If you don't feel like going, go for 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, if you feel miserable, then you just go home. Yeah, yeah. But at least that. just do 10 minutes. And if you end up staying, if you get there and you feel like, all right, I didn't feel like I wanted to be here, but now that I'm in it, we're going to see it all the way through, then great, mm-hmm. wonderful. But if you're there for, if you do a solid 10 minutes and you're just saying to yourself, this does not feel great, I don't feel great, I want to go home, then you can go home. But their rule was, I just do 10 minutes. And there are some days where I, that's all I can do. It's 10 minutes and I just go home. But they were saying more often than not, when I tell myself, just go for 10 minutes, I usually will end up staying 
for the entire time. I think it really is just the act of doing. In terms of being easy on yourself, something from Atomic Habits similar to that that like really stuck with me was like, if today all you can do is put on your jogging shoes and that's, and that's getting you a step closer to doing exercise, then you should celebrate that. Oh, yeah. Like putting on your jogging shoes yeah. can in fact be a huge win. And I like... It had been with the craziness of producing, I had gotten this horrible habit of, of like never cook, like never cooking, mm-hmm. always, always take out or delivery um, and ordering the worst stuff because it was the cheapest and would last for multiple meals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it like quite literally just started with like, all I'm going to do is boil some pasta. Okay. Then tomorrow I'll put some olive oil on it. Yeah. Like, like quite, quite literally that idea of like, and there were a couple of days where it was like, I'm just going to boil the water. I'm just going to start the water boiling to remind myself that this actually does not take that time away mm-hmm. that I think it does. The process for Romeo and Juliet and the Changeling actually helped me be more proactive about spending money on takeout and food and whatnot because because I live in Brooklyn and we were rehearsing oh, and performing in yeah. Queens. So it was I was looking at my week on a Saturday or a Sunday and it was the calculus in my mind was you either can spend $40 today at the grocery store and have food for the week, or you're going to be ordering takeout every day for the next six to seven days, because you're going to get up, you're going to go to work, you're going to go to rehearsal, and then you're going to take the train an hour back to Brooklyn. So even on the days where I just did not feel like getting up or moving, the thought was, just get up, Spend 20 minutes at the grocery store, spend an hour making food for the week, and then you're done. You do the work now so that in future, in the future or in different circumstances, mm-hmm. you can say to yourself, I've already done this. Mm-hmm. This is already taken care of. And so I can, I can trust and be confident in the work that's already been put forward. All right, let's take a little podcast break to talk some Patreon stuff. Yes. Uh, so we have some messages here from Amber that I'm going to call out. She says yoga helps everything. Yes, um, correct. <laughs> and they teach it in many public schools in Austin. Yeah, yeah, it's becoming it's becoming more prominent in um, really? in schools. Yeah, especially like elementary schools and meditation is being used as what? Mm-hmm. yeah as a technique. To, uh, I hesitate to call it like a discipline technique, but instead of like being told to go to detention, you're told to like sit in the meditation corner and like sit and breathe or something like that. So well, that seems kind of problematic. My doesn't that stigmatize. Meditating? Well, it's it's more of like, you know what, instead of like punishing, yeah. you're going to sit and breathe and then we can talk about the situation. Oh, okay. So it's not framed as like, you've done this bad thing, so now you have to no, meditate. No, it's, it's more so replacing the... Because, you know, children it's, are going to be children. It's it's more of... You explain it. It's, it's more of a... Because my, my school does... It, I work in a charter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we do something similar. Before we go to consequences, we're yeah. taught to... We're instructed to uh, lean towards de-escalation first. Yes. And so yes. sitting in like the meditation or in, in my school in particular, my art teacher has a thing that she does with the lower grades, the kindergartners and first graders who are just like energy all over the place mm-hmm. before they start art class. She will do two minutes of mindfulness meditation yeah. with them where they will sit on the rug for two minutes and just be silent and breathe and like center themselves before they go like fling paint across the room. Uh. And so she has, she has a mindfulness corner 
where if uh, or a mindfulness desk it's not even a corner yeah but a specific area for it yeah but the idea is if you have a if you have a kid who is starting to spiral for example or showing like defiant behavior or anything of the sort the idea is to have a conversation with them and be like listen i understand that you're having a rough time right now and i want to give you a chance to get back to get back to even so before we do anything like you know i give you a consequence or i take away like recess or you have silent lunch or anything like that i'm gonna let you go over here you take a seat over here for like two three minutes and just collect yourself slow down a little bit get your breathing together and then when you are ready you can come back and rejoin us and we'll pick up where we left off. Now, if they do that and then they come back and it's still the same thing, then you got to address it. Then you have to address it because then it becomes disruptive to the environment and the rest of the kids. But the idea is to give them a chance to be still and collect themselves before you go straight to no consequence. You're punished now. And you're teaching, it's honoring feelings, right? It's honoring the Mm. experience. Like even if you're like, that wasn't, totally okay we're gonna honor the experience Mm -hmm. and like allow the nervous system to settle and i think there's a lot of dysregulation in the nervous system and there's a higher level of anxiety in children than there's been in even the past decade right is like our our collective trauma and anxiety and is being is starting earlier and earlier because like the the um, caregivers are passing it on to children. So if we Mm. can, like, I think it's incredible that these techniques are starting to be implemented and our emotions aren't something to get out or ignore. There's something that we have to learn to, to regulate and deal with and honor. What we do? We do? Yes, Monty. Yes. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. I think I have some homework. (laughs) I've noticed that even in, even the school where I work, where I work now, there are a couple of, there are a few kids in there that would be labeled quote unquote behaviors. There's one young girl in the class, in one of my classes. And there was one day where I called her out of an activity and I said to her like, Hey, how are you doing? How was your day today? And she was like, it's not great. I'm not having a good day. I was like, okay, I get that you're not having a good day. Here's the thing. Let me level with you really quick. So right now, you are doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. According to the way that these things work, I'm supposed to give you, I'm supposed to give you some kind of consequence. I'm supposed to to punish you in some way. But I understand that you're having, that you're having not a great day. So why don't you and I, we're going to, we're going to figure this out together. I want you to go and sit over here. You're going to be, you can be separate from everybody else. So you can just be with your own thoughts for a little bit. I'll give you like three minutes. After three minutes, you come back to me and then we figure out how to get through the rest of this period so that we can turn the day around. But just making it a conversation of like, we are going to work through this together. I'm on your side and we're going to proactively figure it out. But first I need you to take it down from where you are Mm -hmm. so that you can be in a place that is centered and grounded before we figure out what's the next step. And now 
I have the same girl in my classes this year. And like, that's my homie. Cause she knows that, you know, he's going to give me a shot. If I'm having a bad day, he's not just going to assume or escalate right to a consequence. I can come to him and say like, Mr. Kemper, I'm not having a great day today. I would just, I would rather not work. I would rather not play with a partner. And she's got that level of awareness in herself. Mm -hmm. Now I'd be like, it's not happening today. I'm just, I'm not having a good go of it. And I'm like, okay, I trust you. So I'm going to let you do, I'm going to let you do your thing. You want to sit on the, you want to sit on the carpet for the last 20 minutes and like be by yourself and not have to interact with anybody else. I will let you do that. I still have those days yet. We somehow think kids aren't allowed to have them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to to teach it at a like such a young age. I mean, it was really only when I started going to therapy consistently that I was <laughs> like, oh, I can like tell people what I'm feeling, and and that's okay. Like, I think the beautiful thing about working in Hedgepig, especially this show, like I had um, a few events happen in like the first two weeks of rehearsal that were like uh, traumatic or emotionally devastating. And I came in and people were like, well, like, Hey, how are you? What's going on? And like, I had a really bad day and I've been crying a lot Mm. and I'm here. And it's an, it's a delicate balance of like, I don't, I don't shut down the feelings. Um, I try not to let it like affect the work. I do try and set, but it's also like, I'm bringing myself fully into the work. So like, but being honest with them and being able to say like, yeah, I'm having a bad day today and I want to let you know where I am. Absolutely. I I mean, that whole idea that we, I was at least trained in, which is like, leave your personal life at the door. Oh my God. Take your shoes off. Yeah. And then you come in and just be in the room. I hate it. Well, that's why we had so much bad acting for decades. It's, it's, it's emotionally lie to yourself like that. It's emotionally dishonest, but that is for a long time. That was the standard was whatever else was going on outside. Leave it, leave it at the door. You don't bring it into the rehearsal room. It's like, but if I'm not bringing that into the rehearsal room, I'm not bringing all of myself into the room either. And those days that I've been crying, no, we had worked on the day that the, the scene where Beth dies, spoiler alert, Beth dies in Little Women. Um, what? I'm sorry. You can Google it. <laughs> that's right. I think, yeah. I'm sorry. I think that's, spoiler that's like a Shakespeare spoiler. <laughs> so, um, so the day that I had been feeling really sad, we'd actually been working on a really sad scene and it was incredible to allow my right. Rachel emotional life to be in like accordance with Joe's emotional life and to like, it was really, it was so lovely. One of the things that I've found really wonderful to bring into the room and to like, I'm sure we did some check-in days for Romeo oh, and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, something that I've added on uh, through some EDI workshops that uh, we participated in with junior players, which is a educational theater company that I work with in Texas, is just the idea in those check-ins, giving everyone the space to talk about their differing access needs for that day, which can be like, I'm really emotionally volatile. It can be like, like we were doing a professional workshop uh, for Shakespeare Dallas in November and on one of the days during an access needs thing, someone was like, I have a weird thing with my left ear and today it's really acting up. So please make sure that you're speaking towards my right ear and not my left. Like little things that you would never know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes five seconds to put them out in the room. They change all the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, then there was this like sense... Um, and of course that wasn't the only access need that was mentioned that day, but anytime there one was mentioned, I never got the sense that people were like, Oh God, here's another thing we have to deal with. It's, it's just like, Oh, thank goodness. I know. Right. 
now we can work together better and more effectively because I understand where you're at and you yeah. understand where I'm at yes. and we can meet each other at those places. If I remember correctly, there wasn't a day where I was in the room where there wasn't a check-in, particularly between you and Drew, who oh, yeah. was our Romeo uh, for that production. I'm, If I remember correctly, you all had some sort of check-in. We always checked in. Every, every day. I think it... I think it served so much of that production um, because I remember I had I had friends and family who had come to see the show, and on uh, on more than one occasion I had people who came up to me and were saying, "Had the Romeo and Juliet? Have they like do they know <laughs> each other outside of this? Have they worked together before?" And I was like, "No, they've they had they never met each other before this. <laughs> yeah, they met each other a week and a half ago." But that's they, way more time than Romeo and Juliet had. I'm I just mean, saying. that's no, that's, that's fair. Just out there. But they were saying Method, that's what we are. I got I got compliments specifically on the level of comfort. That's really cool between the two of you. I more than once I heard. They just, you felt that they trusted each other just so completely. On a lot of these episodes, we seem to be coming back to this recurring theme of how essential communication is. In an art form called theater? I'm, I know. I'm confused. Cool. But, it, but, you'd, so. but you'd be surprised <laughs> so. at how often it gets overlooked. Well, I'm just, now that you say all that, I like, well, I completely agree. And it's, it is, it's palpable. Like when, um, Little Women, the the four girls, um, I knew, I was friends with the woman playing Meg. She's been in the ensemble with me for a little while, but she she was like, why don't we all have a little sleepover? We'll bring wine and like oh, have a sleepover wow. together and oh get to God. know each other because the other two women um, are guest artists. So we didn't know them. We didn't know them very well. We hadn't worked together before. And we just all got like really drunk and yeah. bonded. We had a sister bond. Evening, and it yeah. was that sounds like fantastic. a very different approach from how we do it in this company. Not at all how we do things. And bonding with each other. That's definitely not something we do. But then our director was like, "Don't worry about the relationships, girls. Like they're strong." And we were all like, "Oh my god, that's like a week and a half in. Like our relationships are. It, it is. It's it's palpable when you spend that time and communicate and yeah. Um. So I think it's about time for us to start. Wrapping up, Rachel Schmeling, thank you so much thank for coming. You. This has been wonderful. Where can the world find you on the internet? How uh, can people stay in touch with you and find out what you're doing? I'm Rachel M. Schmeling on Instagram. Um, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Great. Always want to say that. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes. So <laughs> That's the first Rachel time. Rachel M. Schmeling on Instagram. I have a website, my first and last name, Rachel Schmeling. Um, and where do you teach yoga? Oh, we teach yoga um, at Bread and Yoga Harlem in Harlem. Teach at Shakti Bar, which has studios in Williamsburg and Harlem, uh, Yoga and Bar Studio. And I teach on the Upper East Side at a studio called New York Yoga. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Rachel. It was yeah. great to talk to you. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Uh, at Amber LB on Twitter, sent us several wonderful things this week. The one that, that I uh, picked to include is a post on Twitter 
since at this would know has an upcoming all access recording of their recommendations i need to suggest that at montgomery sato and at the daniel kemper check out the amazing 1999 short film george lucas in love i am obsessed with that movie have I'm you seen not, it daniel i'm not familiar with this at all is this satirical or is this is this legitimate i'm going to say nothing about it mhm uh, and we're going to watch it as soon as we stop going live. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I love I love that short film, Amber. Who made it? Uh, that's an excellent question. So it definitely was not a Lucasfilm movie. <laughs> oh no 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 no! no, no. no I mean, like, I literally found it on like Kazaa in 2002. Shout out to Kazaa! Wow. Right. Hey, if you if you know what Kazaa is, you're, you're our people. old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that is the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> I'm uh, my recommendation this week when we get to it is uh, from a person that I've recommended on this show before. And I think this this repeat recommendation qualifies me to reach out to them and ask them if they want to come on and do an episode. Oh, because you never know. And you can't get if you don't ask. So, oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. You can't get if you don't ask. Yep. You miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Great. Well, as always, if you would like to comment on this episode, please tweet at us or Insta at us at this would know or at rudegrooms. You can email us this would know at rudegrooms.com. Even better yet, you could record some audio of a thought or a question, email that to us. We might even play it on the show. Who knows? No, we'll definitely play it on the show. I mean, unless it's like really bad or really long. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's fair. Yeah. So don't so. send us something really bad or really long and then yeah. probably it will get played on the air. So don't be boring and keep it brief. Yeah. So don't there follow our example. <laughs> so this week I'm going to recommend another piece of work by the very funny and I'm discovering more and more fantastically talented Ashling B. Ashling B has a show right now that she wrote and produced and starred in on Hulu called This Way Up. She plays a woman who is four months after a nervous breakdown, after being committed to an institution, and is about all about her reintegration into society, how she handles work and family and her personal life, and how she's trying to pick herself up without being a burden to everybody else, which sounds like it'd be a super heavy topic. And there definitely are moments of weight in there, but it's handled with such a, such a deft touch and is interspersed with these wonderful bits of awkward humor. I cannot recommend this show enough. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really into it so far. So if you're listening, go to Hulu Watch This Way Up, starring Ashling B, and then go and find Ashling B on Twitter and Instagram and tell her that Rude Grooms and This Would Know have nothing but praises to espouse about her, and she should come and do an episode with us. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Did, right? you, did you listen to uh, the podcast I sent you? Uh, you Made It Weird, yeah. her interview with Pete Holmes. Yeah. That's how I found out about the show. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was they did that, they did that episode so that it would release right before the premiere of her show. And so she talked about it on that on that podcast episode. That's how I found it. My recommendation does yes. not take a whole lot of time. Okay. It's a little 
uh, YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. None of them are more than eight minutes. Most of them are even shorter, four to six minutes. Okay. Um, LeVar Burton, who's one of my favorite human beings. On I love planet, him so much. He's um, such a wonderful human being. At the beginning of this year, put out a six video series on YouTube called This Is My Story. What? Yeah. And I'm just going to read to you some of his tweets because uh, mm-hmm. he will explain it better than I possibly could. LeVar Burton on, on Twitter says... I've been thinking a lot lately about the state of race relations in America. One thing I learned from the success of Roots, if you don't know, you better ask somebody 42 years ago, right? Kunta Kente all the way. Uh It was the power of storytelling as a way to bridge the gap between races. Mm. There was an America before Roots, and there was an America after Roots and post Roots. America was a greater, more enlightened nation. We came to a better, deeper, more informed understanding of the evil nature, intent, and outcomes of the chattel slavery as practiced in America. As a result, I fervently believe in the power of storytelling to move culture forward. Hashtag Annika Kumli. Yeah, right. Um, to that end, some friends and I have created a few videos, six in all, that chronicle some of the racist experiences most black people who live in America have in common. Spoiler alert, unless you've walked the walk of the African-American experience in this country, it is difficult, not impossible, but difficult to know what the journey is on the daily. Trust me when I say being black in America is not for the weak of heart. Hmm. Neither is it for the weak in spirit. Hmm. For being black in America oftentimes means living in and loving a country that does not love us back. Mm. You may take exception to my premise, but you cannot discount my experience. Oh, wait, stop. I have to take that in. You may, what, what was that again? You may take exception to my premise, but you cannot discount my experience. That's a bar. Right? Oh my God. And that is, I would say that's the thesis statement of these videos. These videos are very, I found myself sobbing at over half of the videos, mm. but they're not, they're not the versions of racism that movies get made about. I see. They're quotidian, mm-hmm. and that makes them even more shell shocking. Yeah. And and the first video is his own is his own story. Yeah, as a young actor in L.A. Mm-hmm. The other the other five of the six episode series are stories of others that he tells to you, and he is. Such, I mean, it's a it's a masterclass for any actor just watching how to how to craft a story, how to cast a spell, um, how to how to work simply, um, and yet still let the words that you're saying affect you without making it about your experience of telling the story. That's great. Thinking about the story itself. That's fantastic. Um, I've 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 watched all six of these at least four times each now, and um, him drawing the connection to roots I think is important because. This is on YouTube now. Mm-hmm. This is short form now. Right. I think in a weird way, this series, and, and hopefully it will continue to grow and bloom in other ways, has the potential to, for this generation, um, be what Roots was for me as a kid. I think that, in terms of all the stuff I have to watch, that sounds like it just moved its way to the front of the queue. As, as always, uh, these recommendations will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also just visit our website, thiswouldnow.com, and we'll have mm-hmm. links to them for you right there. Um, and LeVar Burton, if you'd like to be on This Would Know, I think, I think it's fair to say that there's an open invitation for you. I'm going to put that out into the universe or the ether or whatever you want to call it. LeVar Burton, if you're listening, I don't care where we are in the world. <laughs> I don't care what it is that we are doing. And you can tell by the way in which I am pronouncing the H's and my WH's and over-aspirating my T's. Literally. Okay, Stewie. Yeah. Literally. Anytime, LeVar Burton, because I know you're listening, anytime you want to come on this show, we will literally rearrange our entire lives just to have you here. And I speak for Monty in this as well. Tweet at LeVar Burton. That's right. And tell him to come on the show. Hashtag this 
Burton O. <laughs> I don't know. This is why Daniel makes the hashtags and not me. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. No, that's great. Because now if it happens, if he agrees to just be like, hey, I'll be on the show. We have to make a new graphic for that episode that just says o. this Burton O. And it's his face instead of the and it's just his face. instead of the, the yes. tree trunk. Yes. Oh my god, I love it. And thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of This Wooden O presented by Rude Grooms. Tune in next week where we will be sitting down with both Caitlin Farley and Molly Thomas, our current and former fight directors for Rude Grooms, and two of the quite frankly, the most badass fight choreographers, I think, out there in the space. And humans. And humans. Yeah. Just wonderful human beings. So again, thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode. My name is Daniel Kemper. I'm Montgomery Sutton. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Daniel Kemper. And I am on Twitter at Montgomery Sutton because my parents use too many letters. And on Instagram <laughs> at Montgomery Sutton because apparently they have more hard drive space. Shout out to Instagram for the extra hard drive space. Bye, guys. See you next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of This Wooden O, hosted and produced by Daniel Kemper and Montgomery Sutton. Original music is by Kara Arena. This Wooden O is brought to you by Rude Grooms, a Queens, New York-based theater company creating epically intimate theatrical experiences in public spaces, non-traditional venues, and new media. Learn more at RudeGrooms.com or follow us on social media at RudeGrooms and at This Wooden O.